Hello, and welcome to a co-collaboration episode between the Partial Historians and, over to you guys, Totalus Rankium. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Exciting way to hey. say it. Hello, yeah. it's, it's me, Rob, and... Jamie, who does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's here. Dr. Rad. <laughs> and Dr. G. Hey, double the fun. <laughs> double history. Yeah, and multiple genders. Oh my god. Ooh, we've got it all going on. <laughs> we do, we really do. So I believe, Dr. G, uh, that we're going to be doing a collaboration on Augustus today. Oh my god. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm fanning myself, fanning myself. I was just retching a little. Oh god, there it goes again. Sorry, I'm going to try and control that. <laughs> I don't know why you don't like him. He's a good looking man. He's got statues and everything. So I believe Totalis Ranking, you guys have talked about Augustus before. Did you have any strong opinions on this particular princeps? Uh, a bit of a wimp when it came to fighting. Pointed with his, his fighty ability, uh, I'm going to say that. But political ability. We were very sad. Yeah, we were happy with that. Yeah. So I think... Well, I'll virtual high five you on your first point. Ha-cha! <laughs> <laughs> Do have a point to make about that, actually. <laughs> We thought today, because there's so many of us, we'll have uh, we'll have some sections that we might cover. So uh, we might start off with looking at Augustus's childhood. All right, Dr. G, so tell me about Augustus's childhood. Oh, look, he's often accused of having a low background. Yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, Mark Antony claims that Augustus's great-grandfather on his paternal side was an ex-slave um, and a rope maker. It's really not. It's really not good. It's not great. <laughs> so, someone needs to make ropes. Ropes are very yeah, you, important. You do need ropes. You do. Yeah, but you don't want the guy, that guy running your country. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the family, mm-hmm. um, apparently he's the grandson of a baker and a money changer. Ouch. <laughs> In Roman terms, that's really not cool. Yeah. Yeah. So low background, really. Mm, all right all right but i believe he does stumble into some more illustrious family members and this is kind of well yeah his father does attain a senatorial rank um so he becomes a praetor and then he's given a special commission to go to macedonia and deal with the remnants of spartacus's and catiline's armies yeah spartacus (laughs) (laughs) and only hardcore listeners will understand why i'm so excited (laughs) Do you guys have uh, any details on Augustus's childhood that have stood out for you? Um, well, I think the the main thing that you get from Augustus's childhood is how ill he was when he he starts off in life, and how he's described as this sickly little boy with spots all over him uh, in the shape of constellations of stars, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of beautiful in a way. Oh please. Yeah. It's total perfect it, it's... They're just trying to make him sound cooler than he is. He had acne, all right? He had acne. <laughs> it, it was an interesting just little detail in there that yeah, he's covered in spots, but they're interesting spots. Like Maybe Dumbledore just... has a map of the uh, underground as a birthmark. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he was uh, I think he I think he did uh, suffer from ill health throughout his life it's amazing he managed to make the age he did yes <laughs> i feel like we've been deliberately baited here we've only just started <laughs> hey, i'm coming in hard because i know that you're going to crucify me when it comes to tiberius so just be prepared all right 
All right. So he, he's covered in like spots that are in the shape of constellations. I think that's, you know, that's quite uh, ingenious. Yeah. Um, his father dies when he's four years old. So that's a bit of a shame. Yeah. Um, so he's effectively fatherless. Which was fairly standard back then, though. It was hard to move, especially in our early episodes when we covered the early emperors. Oh, yeah. They all died at a young age. Who died. It was fairly standard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mortality is, you know, obviously not great in the ancient world. And he had a strong mother figure, you know, to make yeah. up for it. I'm going to, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like a Roman mother. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> your mum, hey, Augustus, what are you doing? <laughs> she seems to have a lot to say up until the point where he runs away from home and is being like, I've got to claim my inheritance. And she's like, don't you do that. It's <laughs> like, I'm, I've stopped listening. I'm doing it anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love that part where... He um he turns around and jumping ahead here slightly, but he's got a decision to make. Should he accept the name of Julius Caesar? And everyone around him says, No, no, don't do it. <laughs> this is a foolish thing to do. Is it set far in particular? It's like they will kill you. When you look at how many stab marks are on the body of Julius Caesar, you can kind of see how it could be a liability yeah. <laughs> for a teenager. <laughs> but but he does it. And that that's I'd say the first impressive thing about him. Yes. And I'd say that this actually factors into um, part of his dealing with his own ill health. So I, I now have a theory okay. about this. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> wait for it. Um, so I feel like Suetonius in particular is maybe offering a subtle reading on the fact that Octavian has to make up for his frail health by overcompensating all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, he certainly does that. Like ill man syndrome, like small man syndrome. This is ill man syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll call it sick yeah. man syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> he gets to the brink of like dying, makes it bounces back, or his life is endangered in some way that's also related to his physical frailty. And he really has to make everybody pay the yeah. price for that. So in other words, what you're telling me is he takes it out <laughs> on everyone around him, like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> But it always seems to happen at very convenient times. I'm going to come back to that. I'm, I'm going to come back to that. But continue. All right. So. I'm not saying the fact that he's a great killer is related to the fact that he's sick all the time. <laughs> but I'm just saying there seems to be some parallels. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right. Yeah, so, so his connection with Julius Caesar, when does that kick off? Because I think that happens, obviously, you know, when he's a teen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rob, Jamie, step well, in. Well, he's, um, <laughs> he's invited to go off to Spain. Um, to go and see what his, his great uncle's up to. Uh, and, oh dear, he's too poorly to go, <laughs> which is a shame. And <laughs> the injury. Yeah. Um, I mean, something we didn't cover in our episode of him, uh, which perhaps would have painted him slightly better light, is that when he does finally work up the, uh, the courage slash gets well enough to go, he uh, is in a shipwreck. Um, as he goes to Spain. That must have been exciting. And then he's got to to fight his way to Julius Caesar whilst uh, Julius Caesar's in Spain. So maybe we're being a bit harsh on him there. And and he's during the shipwreck and he's run to Caesar. His knee was fine during that (laughs) Yes, running away from the bad people. (laughs) It's amazing what will happen when uh, when your back is against the wall. (laughs) 
got himself out of a tough space and he clearly impresses Caesar in this moment because it's around this same time because this is all happening around sort of like 46, 45. And yeah. we know that Caesar also writes his final version of the will in 45. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And this is the one that becomes like the the one that's held by the Vestal Virgins <laughs> to my ladies. Yeah. Um, and the one in which... Uh, Octavius is formally adopted as his son. I am just going to point out, though, that the reason why this all happens is because typical of this dynasty that will happen, the Julio-Claudians, there's a lack of male heirs in Julius Caesar's life. I'm just (laughs) going to point that out. (laughs) You're telling me he doesn't have a choice. Well, I mean, look, I'm not saying... I know that there's, you know... I know that there's obviously the children, the child with Cleopatra, Caesarian, but he's never acknowledged him. And let's face it, there's virtually no one else on the scene that's a, bl- you know, a blood relative we're talking about. Are you trying to say that a sickly great nephew's not the logical choice for your heir? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hedging in that direction. I'm just saying it's not as impressive as it first seems, all right? Aspersions, aspersions. <laughs> Okay, continue, Dr. G. <laughs> I choose the spotty one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the one with Aquarius on his backside. <laughs> All right, so he's, so he's named in the will. It's good, but, you know, it's, it's because of a lack of heirs. I think everybody's pretty surprised. Um, yeah. Antony is pretty pissed. That's, yeah. that's fairly clear. Yeah, because um, yeah, Mark Antony by this stage has become pretty close with Caesar and he is much older and much more experienced than a teenager. <laughs> yeah, like Antony's in, his, yeah, Antony's in his 40s by this point. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a man of the world. Yeah. He's seen some mm-hmm. things. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. All right, so is there anything else notable about his childhood? Uh, I mean, I know I know, for him his political career sort of takes off while he's still a teenager, so it's, it's kind of difficult to define where his childhood ends, I suppose. Well, that that's, it's a very serious childhood, isn't it? Um, I had serious times, but uh, you just get the impression there weren't... There wasn't much time for laughter in Augustus's <laughs> life. You also get the impression that if you, if you had a colouring book, you'd colour a lot in blacks... Yeah, lots of reds. <laughs> you seem angry, angry Un- teenager. Angry, rest- restrained. Yeah, I, th- I think he had like you know a few a few good years in those in those crucial what we now know as the crucial years zero to five. You know things were all right, but then yeah things get pretty serious after after that. Yeah. <laughs> Although he did meet his bestest ever friend around this time, uh, because he meets Agrippa. And uh, if he hadn't have met Agrippa, then this would have been a very different podcast. Yeah, no, Agrippa, I think, really is the unsung hero of Augustus's life that not everybody would necessarily know about. <laughs> Almost emperor material, isn't he? Yes, yes, yeah. he is. Yeah, um, yeah. If there was going to be a Roman version of Beaches, it would be about Augustus and Agrippa. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I think to me, what's so surprising is that Augustus outlives Agrippa. Yeah, well, he, he outlives he outlives everyone pretty much, doesn't he? I mean, that's the weird thing about Augustus. I know. For somebody who is frail yeah. of health, he doesn't do so Almost badly. as if he was milking it, perhaps. <laughs> don't don't, don't point, point that as being a crazy thing. Yeah, but Agrippa, Agrippa was a few years older, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so what happens towards the end of his childhood that uh, sort of catapults him into full adult mode? <laughs> Oh, well, he does pick up a number of different things along the way. So yeah. 
like he does that funeral narration when he's 12 right uh, for his grandmother julia yeah this is in 51 right and we're like the poor kid just stand up in front of everybody talk about your grandmother for oh, a moment please that is standard <laughs> fare for a roman <laughs> child <laughs> sorry a male roman child <laughs> um he gets to take part in caesar's african triumph um even though he wasn't involved at all <laughs> <laughs> Caesar's like, join me, join me. And he's like, okay. I feel like oh. Caesar is obviously sort of pushing him forward. You know? I think Caesar realizes he's got a lack of airs on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Aha, it's on tape. <laughs> she said it. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Um, in 48, he gains the toga virilis. So okay. Officially becomes a man. And that sounds like it's around the time that he would normally assume it anyway, though. Like, that's yeah, standard. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. he's pushed forward into a prefectus position in 47. Um, so he becomes the prefectus orbi feriarum latinarum causa. Yatch. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, what exactly does that give him uh, the powers to do that's an excellent question okay <laughs> um so this is the prefectus positions are supposed to be like minor senatorial roles right um for like non-serving otherwise non-serving members of the senatorial cohort okay um but it's also to give the young up-and-comings a chance to sort of learn the ropes of some of the stuff so they're supposed yeah. to be representing the consuls okay um in the latin festival that happens on the alban mount okay cool, cool yeah cool. But it doesn't seem like it would be an onerous task it seems like a fancy title with very little <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but you know i get it it's, it's like when you get that I'm, i've tried really hard sticker at school isn't it Sky silver. I was like, well done. Yeah. Yes. That means nothing to anyone. <laughs> and there's also just some really dud jobs that need to be <laughs> done. And cl- clearly the consuls don't want to go to this festival. So they're like, uh, if we nominate somebody else to go in our place, then we can just get out of this. Ah, see, so, yeah, I feel like this is something like that the British royalty do. <laughs> what do you guys think? Is, is this what the Queen does? She's like, go, go and do that. Go, <laughs> go to Australia. It's too far for me to travel now. <laughs> I mean, she's like... Four, isn't she? Is she ninety four? She's ninety something. Is she? Oh yeah, no, no. I, I totally. Yeah, yeah. Look, but she hasn't been to Australia for a while, guys. Oh no, no, no. I, I, I apologize on the Queen's behalf. <laughs> Thank you. Now we've got the recording. <laughs> we accept your apology. Yeah. Um, he also does become a pontifex. So he oh, joins okay. the yeah he joins the pontifical college. So this is something that must be a leg up from Caesar, I would say as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. So all of this happens to him when he's quite early on in his career, quite young, and before the age of nineteen. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely because age nineteen is an important year for Octavian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's all happening. So he's he's definitely his name is out there. All right. Any other details about childhood before we we delve further I'm, in? I'm ready. I'm ready for. I've got my. I'm sharpening my dagger. I'm ready to bump Caesar off. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I think that, that covers his childhood. Yeah. All right. Let's all right. Do it. Childhood done and dusted. All right. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, the personality and the politics are all kind of mixed up together. Right. Okay. Um. I, I've I've highlighted a couple of things about his personality. Um. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Well, I. When, when you suggested we look at personality, I just thought of a, a few key things I thought about his personality, <laughs> not necessarily in chronological order here. So I don't know if you wanted to cover uh, the death of Caesar first. Well, I think the death of Caesar in a way, I mean, for me, it sort of highlights, I think, a key 
personality trait for Octavian is his ability to take advantage of yeah. opportunities. Yeah, his determination at this point, because it's really hard to get a sense of who this person is. Or he always is in the sources anyway, but um, up until yeah. 19, he's, he's pretty much a blank slate. Uh, but then his determination to push that he is now Julius Caesar and he will be referred to as Julius Caesar and he will get the troops on his side and he will become everything his new father was. I mean, at the age of 19, to, to make that decision against everyone's advice <laughs> uh, is... I've got to give him credit for that. That is some real determination he's he's showing there at an early age. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. I mean, even uh, I mean, when I when we t- when I'm talking to my students and stuff about this, it's hard for them to imagine in their sort of a lifestyle doing that kind of thing at that age. But particularly in a society like Rome, um, I mean, we're you know we're technically still in the Republic here, people, and there's meant to be certain ages where you assume. Yeah you know, the higher political officers and that sort of thing. And and there's definitely a respect for age, particularly older men in this sort of society. So to to take that step definitely marks him out as someone who's unusual and, and someone who is courageous. Okay, I'm going to give you that. Enjoy that. <laughs> I, I think my jaw, it's on the floor. <laughs> well, I think Mark Antony's response to him uh, probably summed up most people's <laughs> response to begin with, which was just, uh, sorry, and you are? Yeah. Um, no, no, you, you, yeah. just go away. We're really busy at the moment. What? What is it that you want? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, well, he is, he, he is, you know, he's a mere baby in terms of Roman politics. Well, this becomes, I think, part of what is happening here is related to what happened with Pompey early in his career. Okay. Because Pompey gains this reputation as the butcher. True. And he's quite young and he's raised his own army. Yep. And then all of a sudden you've got this moment in politics where in the wake of Caesar's assassination, Octavian travels across the Italian countryside and basically picks up all the veterans along the way. And yeah. by the time he gets to Rome, he has an army. Yeah. And he sits outside and he's like, I demand my inheritance. And they're like, are you crazy? And he's like, I do have this army. (laughs) (laughs) Who's crazy (laughs) (laughs) These are Caesar's men and I am Caesar's heir. And there's a moment of capitulation there. Yeah. Um, And Cicero gets in on this as well. This is like a hugely pivotal moment for Cicero's career because even though he doesn't seem to support this kind of uh behavior yes strength through numbers and violence yeah he does turn around to the senate and and say look i think we need to endorse this kid mostly because he's made good any threat to continue marching on the city yeah Yeah. and they're like we have to head this off at the pass and so they do make special concessions to him and they allow him to hold positions earlier they waiver a whole bunch of those age criteria for him yes do, do you get the sense that Cicero and some of us thought this was an opportunity to use him against the likes of Mark Antony and the Caesarian faction that were starting to split? I think definitely there is a sense in which Cicero um, assumes that if they have his ear, they might be able to persuade him. Mm. And he is young and maybe he can be reasoned with. <laughs> reasoned with manipulate just say it. manipulate <laughs> but i don't i don't think that's how cicero would think about it you know and 
I think there's a sense in which they're like, look, he just needs to be educated on the proper ways of the Republic. <laughs> which and, is my way. And, 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 and this is an anomalous time. Yeah, it's, you don't turn up with an army and demand things. Yeah, yeah. And, but since you have turned up with an army and demanded things, um, <laughs> may, maybe we should try and work together. <laughs> Uh, but, it, I mean, Octavian's health is not good during this period either. There is a whole bunch of sort of problematic moments where he ends up in battles mm. where he's trying to fight against Antony, but he's also sick uh, so, in northern Italy. Convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, this is where I think that his illnesses seem to be pretty convenient, <laughs> where he can let other people do the dirty work and he gets to lie about. Oh, but I... Yeah, look, I don't want to say it's a, an illness of convenience, mostly because it happens also at some really particular important times. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that he can't get out of. Yeah, no, I think he, I think he is sickly, but you know, you know, when some, you know, when someone is like does have a reputation for being ill all the time, they could mm. potentially pretend sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you never know when he's being genuine or not. This is the problem. But anyway, I won't dwell on that too much. We've all worked with people like that. We know what it's like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, they're his bold uh, personality traits. Any other key personality traits, Dr. G? Oh, look, uh, to me, it's all just sort of mixed up with this cunning that seems to run throughout all of the political maneuvering. Yeah. Um, that happens. Yeah, he's sharp. Yeah, he's definitely sharp. Oh, yeah. And as soon as we head into the second triumvirate, where... Yeah. It seems that after initial sort of like um, antagonism between Antony sort of being like, I don't want you to have your inheritance. Um, I've made Lepidus, Pontifex Maximus. What do you say to that? Octavian finds himself in this situation. I refer to him as Octavian, though he would refer to himself as Gaius Caesar. Yes. Um, But I just don't want to confuse him with Julius Caesar. And they all get together and then they decide to systematically get rid of all of the opponents of Caesar. Yep. Yes, and see, this is where I don't like him in the sense that he's fucking ruthless, man. Yes, and ruthless, ruthless is my second point. Determined was my first. Ruthlessness is my second. The cons- conscription lists were um, not nice. <laughs> yeah, they're brutal. Yeah, they they estimate there's like what four thousand seven hundred victims. Yeah, yeah, and the. The sources we've got seem to blame uh, Mark Antony and Fulvia um, more so, but I mean, which again is convenient. It, yeah, <laughs> he was clearly more than willing and uh, enthusiastic for this to happen, uh, and yeah, so it's uh, it, it's a streak of ruthlessness that seems to be ignored a lot when people talk about Augustus. That isn't just here at the start. You, you see bits of it, if we can believe, especially Suetonius, who's not hugely reliable. But, I mean, some of the stories when he's older, uh, he still maintains this ruthless streak, uh, almost a savage streak. He, there's uh, one story we picked up on in our episode on him, on how he tore the eyes out of a man because he didn't want to lose face. Um, and that that's... Not the Augustus that I imagined. <laughs> it's really not. No, I kind of feel like his personality. I mean, th- this is obviously the, the times of the prescription lists and that sort of thing. He that's when he gets the reputation as being like the kid butcher, kind of Pompey-esque, yeah. like as you were saying before. And and I kind of feel like um, Augustus um, benefits from the fact that 
like for some people they die too late um but he lived long enough to have a significant chunk of time to reform his image yeah. and to do a PR makeover <laughs> and to pay people to help him to do this PR makeover, um, you know, with the poets and, and, and that sort of thing. And so I, I think he gets to take advantage of the fact that this really quite nasty, ruthless, brutal period of his life kind of starts to get overshadowed by the more stable part. Yeah. What do you have to say to that, Dusty? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm not going to disagree. Um, <laughs> um, I do think that this ruthlessness underpins everything about his continuation in power. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So the reputation that he develops through the prescriptions, because he's clearly interested in getting rid of some of these people. Yes. And uh, and I'm going to go to Suetonius because it's like it's like what an evocative image. He's not restrained in victory. He sends the head of Brutus to Rome to be thrown at the foot of Caesar's statue. Blech. Gross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, they have the battle in Philippi. That's nowhere near Rome. By the time that head gets there, it's going to be grotesque. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't the head not get there? This is me trying to remember something two years ago, but I'm sure the head never made it back. Maybe it but maybe did I'm it. not remembering that. I don't know. I can't remember either, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm just running with Suetonius here. And I feel like the, like this is a great story because I'm like, well, if we just imagine Brutus's head for a moment, it's like a three-month journey. Uh, <laughs> he's been decapitated. <laughs> uh, at what state of putrefied flesh are we at by the time it gets there? And everyone's just going to be like, oh. <laughs> maybe maybe they preserved person. it in salt. Maybe. maybe. A barrel of salt. Like dried up like a raisin. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do remember that after the um, the battle. Not only is he sending heads off through the post, that was um, when he... Roger's first delivery. Yeah, yeah. Um, he f... again. This is me remembering something a couple of years ago. Didn't he force a father and son to um, decide yeah. which one was going to be executed? Essentially, playing yeah. out paper scissors. Yes, I yeah. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he did, and then and then gets the one who survives to be killed anyway. Uh, oh, I didn't remember so... that bit. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. if if you've gone to round five of rock paper scissors and you've come out on top, you're gonna, <laughs> you get murdered anyway. So this leads him to have this highly negative reputation, where uh, they come out of Philippi and Antony gets applauded for his gentlemanly behaviour. Um, and victory as a general, and Octavian just gets openly reviled uh, by some of his opponents for being somebody who seems to take pleasure in creating painful situations. Yeah, and this is where I mean, if, if he had succumbed to an illness at around this time, we would be dealing with a very different reputation. <laughs> <laughs> we would, yeah. we would. Yeah. I think this is this all connects in a way because the prescriptions first of all, eliminates a whole bunch of enemies, potentially, um, of Antony, Lepidus, and Octavian. Yes. Um, so that clears the table to a certain extent. Um, some of their own um, allies, in a certain way, end up on that list as well. Um, mm. Seems a bit problematic. Yeah. Um, some of the previous legates of Caesar end up on this list. Ooh. Yeah, so there's... There's eliminations from within. So it's creating a really destabilized political atmosphere where nobody's sure whether they're safe or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is setting up for the future purges because even after 
Octavian becomes Augustus and seems to have established his power position, he continues to engage in senatorial purges on mm. a pretty regular basis. Okay. Um, and just changing what the requirements are for senatorial entry. Yeah, because that's one of the that's one of the key powers. I mean, when as you say, once once all uh, his rivals have been eliminated, once the second triumvirate's fallen apart, he's defeated Antony, blah blah blah. Once he starts working on his sole power, he essentially creates this position for himself where he's sticky taping together all these Republican positions and powers um, so that he has the ultimate power. And one of them is uh, is censor, which gives him the control over the senatorial list, isn't it? Yeah, which is a pretty crucial. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. entry to the Senate is dictated on a number of terms, some of them monetary. Yeah. Um, but the censors are the ones who ultimately decide whether you've met the requirements or not. Who gets to be in my clubhouse? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. So is there anything else personality-wise that you want to highlight before? uh... Yeah, there's a a couple of things. He's he's, he's hypocritical, personally. (laughs) Hello. Um, Hello. Excuse me? I think I'm in love. (laughs) (laughs) Going towards the end um, now, when he brings in all the morality laws... Uh, and you can see politically why he's doing it, linking it uh, to his political savvy, savviness. Um, but I mean, he's uh, it, again, if we can believe what we're told, he was certainly no no angel himself at home. Um, <laughs> stories of uh, one I came across um, recently, which I missed when we were doing the episode. Uh, apparently, he had a, a, a secret special attic. Uh, in his in his house. Yeah, yeah. For, uh... This is a Jane Eyre level of crazy here now, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? But that, that's that's where he'd go to do things that he perhaps didn't want people to know about. It was the ancient version of a, a, a sort of private browser history. Right. Yeah. That's... Incognito mode is a rule. Very Fifty Shades of Grey. Just come to my secret attic. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got stories of Olivia uh, choosing some people for him to sleep with, and I. How much this is true, we're not sure, but at the same time, he's dictating to everyone else how they should live morally. And uh, let's face it, he wasn't following it himself. So you do get that sense of him being a bit of a hypocrite. I think that's true. And I mean, some of the things that you say, we can't, it's hard to verify. Like, I'm going to let Dr. G uh, take a run at those sex stories. Um, But even if we look at what we can verify, the fact that he ends up divorcing his wife Scribonia basically the minute she's given birth to his child so that he can take up with the heavily pregnant wife of another man that's scandalous (laughs) that's quite impressive what do you think about the sex stories because yeah we do talk about these Dr G um I think this tells us that a man in frail health might have more to offer than you first imagined (laughs) (laughs) Don't overlook the sickly one, that's what I would say. (laughs) This is a guy who can essentially rock up at a party, Mm. see somebody's six-month pregnant wife, and be like, hey, you, let's go into the other room. She says, hells yeah. They come out, and everyone's like, wow, I'm pretty sure they just did it. (laughs) She's glowing in a new way. And... And then they they get married within like what three or four weeks. It's pretty fast turnaround. Like within the end, by the end of the year, like the first marriage is over and the second marriage has begun. And once she gives birth, he's like, and you can go and live with your father. 
<laughs> what a moral guy he was. A paragon of virtue, yes. you could say. <laughs> it's the kind of story you would happily put in with all the stuff that Caligula's famed for. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. yeah. His relationship with Livia is interesting, though, because obviously they don't have much luck producing children, which is one of the things that Augustus is particularly interested in promoting. Mm. You know, in this um, in this space of legislation that he starts pushing through once he's you know the princeps. And I must admit, that's one thing where I kind of feel like I'm willing to give Augustus the benefit of the doubt, Dr. G. Are you prepared for this? I think he must have genuinely cared about her. I, I, obviously, he had a lot to lose by, after like promoting her as like this paragon of female virtue, he couldn't really turn around and divorce her easily. But I feel like there must have been some genuine affection between Livia and Augustus. I think they were a bit of a power couple. Ooh. Yeah. What do you guys think? You, you do get that sense, don't you? And it is really hard to to pick up on how relationships really were in yeah. such a distance of time. But yeah, um, Augustus and Livia are definitely one of them where you go, okay, maybe there, there was something there. Uh, but <laughs> even then, he, he wasn't particularly good to Livia, um, apart from the fact Ooh. he didn't divorce her. I mean, is yeah. that really? <laughs> the highest That's standard <laughs> I suppose that's the, if that's the standard we're holding them to, then it's not great. Uh, oh, he does a lot for the for the sort of like the public image of women. This is the moment where women go from being ultimately exclusively in the house mm. um, in many respects to overtly public in the way that they're presented. And it's not that we haven't seen women and particularly elite women try to be openly political before but he sort of paves mm. the way to make it uh part of the process of how rome is run to have a family at the center yeah but that's the thing i kind of feel like that's just a sideline like i don't think he was that... it is the collapse of the republic that we're looking at here no no i know that's what i mean <laughs> like the fact that it's a family like that's that's him that's him wanting a dynasty that's him wanting someone who's a blood relation from his legitimate marriage like his his heir to yeah. take over I, that's why it's i don't i feel like it's an unintentional thing i, don't I mean think, i feel i feel yeah. kind of conflicted because i'm like i want the elevation of women to happen yeah. in history, yeah. regardless of how it happens. Maybe. No, no, I get it. But I, I don't think you can say that that's like, you know, score one Augustus. I think that's just a, a byproduct of his own quest for power. Sorry, not giving it to you. Damn. <laughs> okay, so what other key personality traits? Um, I was just going to say, I think we've uh, covered everything I wanted to say on this personality, which uh, I've just realised is quite negative. <laughs> <laughs> now you speak in my language. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably state my reasons for liking Go Augustus ahead. at yeah. this point, because it's clearly not a personality thing. <laughs> I think the thing that I most appreciate about him, and it's it's in contradiction to my personal political politics, yeah. uh, is the fact that he's such a savvy political animal yeah and he gets himself into difficult situations and he finds ways to get himself out of them again true and you can't anticipate i think there's a real sense of the accident of reading history from hindsight where you can be like oh you know this was all planned and this was all part of the process you know he had a really particular outcome in mind i don't think he did necessarily up to a certain point okay it becomes pretty clear it's all reactionary it's got to be, he's got to react to the situation as it occurs. Yeah, and from from the age of 19 onwards, he's in a reactionary mode. And I don't think 
that we see anything different from him until we get down to about 27, 23, mm. um, where we start to see a lot of a crop of legislation that really enshrines him with particular powers yeah. that are extraordinary. And he can kind mm. of sit back a little bit and be like, oh, okay, well, I, I did win this civil war. I am in charge of all of this. How am I going to figure this out now? Yeah, I mean, definitely the political powers that he accrues and the, I mean, the the literature that comes, that, you know, is produced during this time, the buildings, I mean, the Reyes Gestai, I mean, it all sort of shows that he was very, he was very savvy in terms of crafting, um, you know, a, a pretty thorough personality makeover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is, yeah yeah and but he starts from a position of complete disadvantage really yeah the thing that he's got on his side is being named the heir of caesar and that's pretty much the only card he's got to play for a long time yeah he's got to you know see a star in the sky and be like wait julius caesar's really a god everybody <laughs> um you know to, you know to bolster that card up a little bit because everyone's like eh um and then he ends up in this like sort of uh shifting balance of power where in this triumvirate it's really Antony that's sitting on the powerful um provinces he's got Gaul and Lepidus is holding Hispania and the other part of Gaul these are all of the the sort of the nice ones to have and Mm. Octavian's given things like Africa (laughs) Sicily and Sardinia which effectively equal nothing at this point in time (laughs) and he manages to make a play to switch all of that up after Philippi and gets control of Hispania and Lepidus ends up with Africa. Ouch. Poor Lepidus. Lepidus really gets a demotion at that point. Yeah. And then as they get further into this triumvirate, it seems that Octavian's able to accrue a whole bunch of the really valuable ones as Antony moves east and Mm. he relinquishes the ones in the west. Yeah, And this is what sets him up, is that there's some really fortuitous moments that are not really to do with him, um, where he manages to bolster his own position and is able to work with it. Oh, yeah, and definitely, I mean, the way that he deals with Antony, you know, particularly late in the triumvirate, the the fact that he just leaps on Antony and Cleopatra and, you know, what they're getting up to, the shenanigans in Egypt and that sort of thing, like... He really knows how to go for someone. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, if he wasn't against Mark Antony, would he really have done as well? I mean, Mark Antony was fairly useless. Uh, he <laughs> really messed things up a lot. He, he, did, he, did, he did misplay things, but I think, I mean, you know, as, as, you, as you were saying, Deji, um, because he has the age and experience and he also has a connection of, you know, he has the political connection and history with Caesar to a certain extent, at certain points, like, he would have been the more logical choice when you're looking at, I think, Octavian, Lepidus and Antony. Yeah, yeah. From a senator view, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, we see that in 32 because Octavian doesn't give up some of his powers and the triumvirate has technically expired. And at that moment the consuls and a whole bunch of the senators leave Rome to join Antony in the East. Yeah. They're like, this is, this is over. This guy's, this guy's crazy. Yeah. And that's so close to Actium. Like it's so close to the end. Yeah. 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 Um, And at that point it seems pretty clear that Antony's the one Mm. with, with the more secure position. And it's not like, I feel bad for Antony in a way. And I was like, he's got this reputation. And I think it's a little bit to do with political invective in the source material (laughs) for being a bit of a drinker, you know, (laughs) and, you know, being like, you know, swayed by Egyptian women, but 
Egypt is the breadbasket of Rome. It's a smart move to try and control that province. I see. I'd, I'd say it was more. It's more him going into Parthia and just <clears throat> utterly failing. I think is where he came unstuck. <laughs> if, if that campaign had worked, yeah, he, that good. He, he would have been fine. I, I, but it just it seemed to destroy him. <laughs> he just came out of it. Oh, look, so many Roman men have met their doom yes. <laughs> in Parthia. Crassus is the one I'm thinking of here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, well, should we move on to major political events? There's one yeah. big one, even I know. I mean, this this could be a long list of achievements. I mean, you, you do have to hand it to him here. Uh, I, I'm just going to start off with the fact that he is the first emperor and yeah okay he wasn't quite seen as emperor um but that's how we see him now and that is for a reason and we have stability in rome for the first time in what 60 70 years uh the civil wars end at stability has been achieved and a new political system is put in place pretty much single-handedly uh it's hard to beat that kind of political success very few people in history have managed to achieve quite that level. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, it is an impressive time, and I guess this sort of um, that that establishment um, alludes to those dates that you were talking about earlier, Doctor G, the twenty seven and twenty three, when we've got the first and second settlements, when um, when he manages to secure <laughs> those key powers and roles for himself. I can see this being a point of criticism. Um, so if we take like Syme's line of thinking here, yeah, yeah. where it's like basically he sets himself up like a fascist leader. Syme uh, was writing with a- <laughs> on the dawn of World War II. <laughs> he was, he was. And, th- and this is why I specifically referenced the fascist element here, yeah. because you have somebody who wanders into a system, takes it down from the inside essentially, and then sets themselves up in a personality cult. Wow, you're doing the work for me here. Keep going. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, sure, you've resolved civil war, but at what cost? I mean, you've wiped out the Senate. Mm. Prescriptions have eliminated most of political opposition that could possibly exist. I mean, what options do you have at that point? Mm. Is this a success that is that is dressed up the failure of the Republic? Yeah, and that's kind of how he gets this. That's kind of how he gets the Senate on board. In that he, you know, he sort of wanders in and is like. Well, I uh, I guess everything's cool and I'll just, you know, leave you guys to it then. I mean, of course, there could be civil war again, but whatevs, you know, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they won't be. And then it's like, wait, wait, come back. What do you want? <laughs> so, yeah, I think the the moment of becoming an imperial entity is massive. And I think it, it is also a really fraught um, moment of success. Mm. Um, and it, it's something that particularly the senatorial class continues to really um, struggle with as well, even through the rule of Tiberius. Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, even just looking at the, the opinion, I mean, Tacitus obviously doesn't write a lot about Augustus, but he does touch on... <laughs> but everything is disparaging. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, because he, cause he has... He, he has a total starry-eyed, you know, view of the Republic, which he never lived under. Mm-hmm. But he does, you know, typical senator. He he yearns for the days of the Republic and freedom to compete and blah blah blah. And so he looks at Augustus as, you know, the, the he's the architect of all of that. So he is the bad guy. All right. So success as an emperor. Other successes. Yeah. Come on. Give me <laughs> give me some good stuff. I know you're dying to. <laughs> 
Oh, things that uh, he did mm. in, in terms of politics. Um, so I think the Battle of Actium obviously stands out. Mm. Um, and this leads through to the fall of Alexandria. Um, and this is kind of the moment that secures a lot of Egypt for Octavian. I, I referred to it as a province um, just previously, but it doesn't actually become a province until Octavian gets there sure, yeah. um, and takes it for himself. And it's going to point out that Agrippa did. Yeah, I, command I was for... also going to point out that that, that was Agrippa, wasn't it? Nice. <laughs> yeah, but Augustus, the, the injury, remember? Yeah. No, no, he was on the boat for that one to give him some credit. On a chair, because he's new. I mean, somebody told Agrippa where to go. <laughs> to act in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yep, okay, so yep, Egypt, okay. Oh, wow, Italy. okay, so that's yep. a success I don't get to have. All yeah. right, <laughs> yep. Uh, moving on. Yep. Um, did you know that the doors to the Temple of Janus were closed twice? Yeah, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get okay. So the doors to the Temple of Janus are closed in times of peace. Yeah, that, but yeah, if they were closed twice, what does that mean, Doctor G? <laughs> <laughs> I think this tells us that there's a double amount of peace going on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, do you guys have anything to say on this uh, Temple of Janus business? <laughs> um, I don't know. It all seems a bit like a political stunt. and uh, <laughs> But then that's what he was good at, uh, to be honest, wasn't it? He, he, he was very good at self-promotion. Um, he, he knew how to get history to look at him kindly. Uh, like the, As you Definitely. mentioned the words yesterday uh, earlier, I mean, that is just a phenomenal piece of propaganda for him there where he just goes on a huge list of everything he's done and how he doesn't want any credit for it he doesn't <laughs> want anyone to know he's done them so he has them yeah. hammered up around the city <laughs> with his name on yeah. it oh and over the empire yeah <laughs> yeah let's be fair like he writes that very late in life and we don't find evidence that it's up until after he's dead <laughs> Are you suggesting he, he wrote it and just kept it under his pillow for safekeeping? Then? I've just got these bronze tablets. I've got about 25 copies or so. I'm just going to sleep on them so nobody finds my diary. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, okay, it's still, it's still a piano. It's still a makeover. Like, Romans care about what people think of them after they're dead. Like, mm -hmm. whether it's in his lifetime or afterwards, I'm sorry, it's the same thing. It's a PR exercise. <laughs> I think he had some really, like, limited aims. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm dragging it away from the PR exercise. I mean, yeah, yeah yes, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he has some really specific things that he's trying to achieve, at least in the beginning. Okay, such so as he wants to ensure the settlement of the veterans. Okay, that's pretty high on his list, and has been one of his um, uh, something that's been on his political agenda since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, in '44. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to be able to really secure it until after the closure of these civil wars. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's understandable. I mean, he keeps <laughs> he keeps dragging these veterans around for various purposes. Yeah, um, but then that's presumably one of the reasons. I mean, yes, they fight with him because they care about Caesar and that kind of stuff. But you presume that's also the you know the payment at the end. Well, yeah. and and at some point, some of those guys must have been replaced by other guys because yeah, between forty four and like. 30 oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot of time has passed <laughs> absolutely 
But okay. this, this yeah. seems to be a continual process. I think we can talk about um, success in terms of his building program. And you are going to bring that up. <laughs> Who did he put in charge of the uh, the building? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. What's his, what's his name? I, I can't quite can't remember. remember. No, I can't. It's me with an A. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, what? No. You don't hear a gripper? <laughs> to be fair to Augustus, maybe we can say good delegation skills. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, don't really, you don't really expect the emperor to literally, you know, design and build. <laughs> delegate a war, though. He did. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. yeah so I, I think that's the best kind of thing to delegate. Personally, if I was a leader, that's definitely yes. something I'd delegate out. Gripper, this looks like one for you. <laughs> Got your name all over it. Oh, wait, it really does. <laughs> so what kind, of, uh, what kind of buildings do we get thanks to Augustus? Oh, look, you know, I didn't really even go into that. You know, he just, he rebuilds all of the temples, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he does, he does produce a temple to Apollo on the Palatine. Right, yep. Um, that's a special one because it adjoins his own house. Uh-huh. Fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Separated merely by a corridor. <laughs> well, I believe he also, he also obviously, as a, as a big PR exercise again, he um, constructs the, the mausoleum for his family smack bang in the center of Rome. This starts very early it as does. well. Well, is, isn't that kind of um, a bit of a, Antony's going to be buried in Egypt beside that uh, that foreign whore, whereas I am going to be buried in the center of Rome. Isn't that kind of the, the gist of it? I think that's part of the gist, yeah. yeah. And it becomes known as the Mausoleum um, Augusti. But I mean, when it was initially uh foreshadowed and they start building it he's not augustus yet no of course um so it's just like this is uh to the julii and uh myself well i mean it's not like it's it's not like it's unheard of for a a person of an elite family to have a family too like that's pretty standard but it's the placement of it isn't it yeah a lot of these are on the appian way but the mausoleum definitely isn't Mm -hmm. it's on the north side near the campus marshes which is interesting yeah yeah exactly yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. All right, so there's lots of fancy buildings going on. Yeah. Anything else you want to bring up, Dr. G, and rubbing my face? <laughs> um, look, I, I mean, I, I, I think what we can say is that uh, he declares the restoration of the res publica. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's an interesting one. <laughs> Bringing back the uh, And we can talk about empire all you like, um, but what he actually does... It restores the Republic. <laughs> I think that uh, what you guys were saying before about him being a bit hypocritical. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah. Well, our podcast isn't rating all the uh, leaders of the Republic after Augustus. No, neither. No, uh, senator. So for that. I think that shows you how successful he was <laughs> at restoring the Republic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, well. <laughs> well. What else have you got for me? Come on, come on, bring out the big guns. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to tell you. I feel like every time I tell you something, you shoot me down. Well, you know it's going to get brutal when Tiberius is on the block, so <laughs> I've got to get my punches in early. You know, he does receive a lot of gifts um, in 27. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty special year for him. Yeah. Um, so there are some things that he does, which is particularly hand over control of the res publica back to the Senate. Mm. Everybody's very excited. Yeah. It's not an empire. <laughs> um, he does retain the consulship. Uh-huh. So that's good. Yeah. Um, he decides to take the Imperium Proconsulare, mm-hmm. um, so power he- of a proconsul for 10 years. 
Um, so that gives him essentially the power of a console outside of being a console, beyond yeah. being a console. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's only over provinces that are considered to not be at peace. So yes. there you go. Well, this is very the generous. Key. Okay, let's face it. This is the key to his power as well. For all the fancy schmancy political maneuverings, whatever. <laughs> Essentially, I think the core of his power is the fact that he gets to hang on to control of the armies like mm. the bulk of the armies because he divides the provinces up between himself and the senate and he gets to main, maintain control of the ones that are problematic i.e have troops <laughs> Ooh, yeah 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 what would you guys say to that i mean if you're if you're tying his political achievements to uh, his military success and his control of the the armies uh, one thing I will give him credit for uh, is something that Hadrian often gets a lot of credit for, which is that he he recognised the size of the Republic uh, as it was, <laughs> and he decided to stop. And he, he made it quite clear that we, we shouldn't keep pushing this. We're, we'll overstretch ourselves. And um, I, Hadrian gets a lot of credit for that. You don't hear of Augustus getting credit for that very often. And um, yeah. Do you know why I feel that is? I feel that, that that is very related to one of the big disasters of Augustus's reign <laughs> and therefore one of my favourite things to talk about. <laughs> of course, I am referring to the defeat of Varus, which happens very late in his reign as, as an actual like princess. Oh, yeah, it makes him sad for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, oh, five years of it, yeah. So, so crazy, not just sad. He starts roaming the palace or and just shouting give me back my legions it's uh yeah well see i feel like his respect for the boundaries of rome like that this is this is a good extent kind of is tied to that event and the huge disgrace that is cast upon rome the roman army like you know what maybe maybe we shouldn't keep doing this anymore maybe it's time to start (laughs) guys we made a mistake (laughs) I think there is something to be said for that. Uh, That's her way of saying that I'm right. <laughs> I didn't say that precisely. Um, certainly, I, he holds a lot of um, the ideas of the Roman army close. Mm. So when he does his tour of the East, he does make sure he picks up the standards that Crassus had left there. Mm. Um, so picking up standards and and retaining them and bringing them back into the Roman fold is all, all part I, of his I'm deal. Sorry, I'm sorry, did, did you say Augustus picked up the standards of Crassus? <laughs> I, I do believe, I do believe that there was a person with him called Tiberius. It was a gripper, wasn't it? I could have sworn it was a gripper. Because <laughs> lifting heavy things pay havoc on your knees as well. I mean, it's... Yeah. <laughs> you know Augustus is frail. So when he does something in the East, maybe it's done by one of his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe Augustus gets the credit. He's done in his name. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's definitely on his list of his own achievements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's how we should judge him. And he gets the triumph. That's what counts. I mean, what sort of inscription has a gripper left behind? <sighs> All right. All right. Phew. Got out of that one. Yeah. Augustus for the win. <laughs> okay. All right. Yep. Sorry. All right. Yep. I'm sure I had other things to say on this, but I don't even know anymore. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just okay. I'll tell you what. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something. Let's oh, let's talk a little bit more about the moral. Bone. Let's talk a little bit more about this moral legislation. Okay. okay. All right. So, what do you what's your take, Doctor G? Um, I think the moral legislation is firstly um, about controlling the elite in Rome. Okay. When when does he start sort of doing this? Uh, around about 18 BC. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so he introduces a number of laws around 18 and 17. One's to do with electoral corruption. Nobody ever talks about that one. <laughs> That's no fun. <laughs> Nobody likes electoral corruption, let me tell you. Particularly not under somebody like Augustus. But then he does introduce these two pieces of legislation. We think they're about a year apart. It mm-hmm. was very hard to pin them down. But there's the De Maritandibus Bondinibus. Um, which is about encouraging marriage and the production of legitimate children. Mm. Um, so you have things like the right of three children introduced. Yep. Um, so if a Roman citizen woman bears three legitimate Roman children, she gets exemptions to have some uh, political and economic freedoms. Yep. And then you have uh, on the flip side of that, so that's the encouraging one, that's your carrot, everybody. <laughs> and the stick law is uh, <laughs> all about adultery. Hey. The de ultiterius coercendis <laughs> for punishing adultery, um, where people are sort of given carte blanche to kill everybody. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> kill everybody. <laughs> if you catch them playing up, kill them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you yeah, find them in their secret attic, for example. Yeah. With your wife. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's why Libya never, ever goes there. <laughs> And that seems to be a reaction to this supposed, um, you know, sort of decadent attitude to relationships that uh, that the Roman upper class, at least, had developed uh, during the sort of later Republic and had apparently carried on into Augustus's own reign where women are sleeping with men that aren't their husbands and they're refusing to have children because they want to spend their time partying and whatnot. Outrageous. Thank goodness we've outgrown that now as a... As a... <clears throat> Is it as a Western society? <laughs> yes, it's oh, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. yeah, our morality has grown. I feel <laughs> exactly. But then, of course, this does trip him up, doesn't it? A little bit with his own family. Oh yes, things go a little bit pear shaped. Perhaps with his own daughter. Perhaps with his own daughter. You know damn well he ends up exiling. <laughs> so he has only one legitimate child in his entire life. Oh, yes. Yeah. So this is Julia, the daughter born by Scribonia, the first wife, ill-fated. The one that he divorced, you know, once uh, the placenta was coming through. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm going to rub it in. Um, yeah, so Julia becomes his uh, his ticket to other heirs. So he marries her off a number of times. Oh, yes. Well, there's the, well, there's the moment he decides that he needs to... Um, uh, they're traveling east and Agrippa is with him. Mm. And then Agrippa falls ill. I believe, or maybe it's Augustus that falls. One of them falls ill. <laughs> um, Given the track record here. Um, and anyway, so Augustus and Agrippa are split up, and Augustus, in his wisdom, decides that since they're not together, that maybe they need to just make sure that they're still buddies and all by marrying Agrippa <laughs> to Julia. Wise move. <laughs> sounds like one of those three in the morning kind of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an idea. <laughs> It kind of works out well in that she ends mm. up popping out five babies, yeah, which, you know, which is good for the dynasty. Yeah. But uh, then, of course, it, as it seems, uh, Julia might not have appreciated being married to a man mm. older than her father. <laughs> well, I'm interested in your guy on, on your take um, on this situation with Julia, gentlemen. Um, um, what are your thoughts? Well, 
Jamie, you probably don't remember this. Uh, on, on our podcast, we quite often talk about people getting to know each other. Oh, yes. Um, Julia is where we got that phrase from oh, is first. It? Yes. Oh. <laughs> in one, yeah, Augusta's episode. <laughs> I was trying to politely explain how she uh, got to know a lot of people. Got to know, got to know them very well. Oh, yes. yes really? First on oh, terms. But, like you say, I mean, it sounds like this has been going on for a while, uh, this attitude towards morality, uh, especially in the younger uh, aristocracy, uh, aristocracy. But if you look at Clodius uh, and his set that he had with Mark Antony, there were rumours flying around here. It's, it's hardly surprising, like half a generation on. Uh, you've got the daughter of all-powerful Augustus, and she's being told, you must do this. And you're just going to turn around and say, why? Why do I need to do this? Life's pretty good. Uh, and she just seems like she just wanted to have a good time. And unfortunately, Augustus really couldn't accept that. Because it's fine for him to be a hypocrite, but not his daughter. Well, it damages his profile, doesn't it? It damages his, <laughs> exactly. his perceived... He, he can control what he's doing. Yes. He couldn't control his daughter. No. So off to the island she goes. Oh. Yeah. Given that um, by the stage that he, uh, you know, apparently finds out about her behaviour, which is, you know, well into his reign, um, and, you know, a number of years after he's passed this moral legislation, it, it's become really risky in the sense that if her children are going to be his heirs, then he can't yeah, have questions yeah. of paternity. Um, you know, it... it, it, it it needs to, you know, it needs to all be above board so that these are, you know, so that there's no, there's no way someone can try and take them down by criticising, you know, where they came from. And that, that always brings up my absolute most favourite story from antiquity, which is when someone allegedly asked Julia, how do you manage to have your children all look like your <laughs> husband when you're constantly cheating on him? And she said, I never take on passengers unless there's already cargo on board. <laughs> Surprisingly modern phrase for a <laughs> yeah. But I like the subtlety of it. You yeah, know? yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. shipping metaphor. I mean, how convenient. Up on board, say that. It's a lot more poetic than I'm up the doff. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, is there anything else major politically that you want to talk about, uh, guys? Before we uh, we maybe move on to judging. No, I think I think we've covered that. Yeah. What about you, Dr. G? I know he's your fave. <laughs> oh, look, I feel like there are many things that I could <laughs> say, and, I, and I'm going to resist <laughs> resist the urge for the most part. <laughs> I will say that, like, it seems that uh, regardless of how things are going with the senatorial support, because that's pretty sketchy, he does clear out the Senate on a number of occasions, including in 18, um, when he's looking at introducing this moral legislation. Yeah. And so he keeps the Senate in this constant state of fear um, yeah. of not being certain. And he picks up a, a position as census on enough occasions with enough opportunities to just make sure that he keeps everybody in check and fearful enough that they keep complying, which makes me think that none of this is solid, um, mm. that this is all very tenuous, even late in the piece. Mm. Okay. Um, and certainly when he does fall uh, quite ill in 23 yes um that becomes a huge Is thing you? as well yeah yeah so i mean he does seem to think that he's gonna die he gives out a 
an account of the conditions of the empire to Paizo. He gives his signet ring to Agrippa. Mm. Hey, buddy, or pal. <laughs> he then takes on board different types of powers after that when he comes back from the brink. Yeah. And there's always this um, tension in the background between his ill health mm. or his variable health and his attempt to sort of massage everybody in particular directions. Mm. He's a smooth operator, I'll give you that. Yeah, but I think he's also fighting against himself a lot because um, his own physical frailty seems to be the thing that really frustrates him. Mm, I can understand And that. he does seem to accrue as a sort of counterpoint to that, this huge loyalty amongst the people. Mm, yes. And, and this is like how he counterbalances the tensions in the Senate and within the elite um, because there is a lot of support from below. Everyone loves the sympathy story, don't they? And is, it, is this also, I mean, is this also a bit of a bread and circuses angle as well in that he provides? Yeah, definitely. He yeah. gets them out of famine on a couple of occasions. So there's like a huge famine situation, I think, in um, 22. So mm-hmm. just after he gets better. And he personally goes to Sicily um, to fix up the grain supply. Oh, wow. So he takes <laughs> on board the... Um, uh, organization of the food supply mm. that's a particular role he adopts that yeah uh, make sure that the job gets done yeah um and this means that things crop up in terms of the reorganization of the city itself where he starts to be implanted into all of the local religious stuff mm. so the reorganization of the urban space into the vikis and the lares now includes the genius of augustus mm. um so you've got like this really, um, it, it's happening on many layers. Yeah. Like there's this top political layer, which is brutal and, and horrific, but it mostly focuses on the elite. Mm. And if you don't like the rich, then maybe this is not mm. so bad because he's basically clearing out the rich um, and then taking their stuff for himself. <laughs> but he is looking after, it seems, the people in many respects, and they really value that. That's great propaganda though, isn't it? Like taking from the rich. Yeah. There's well, that, tidy the fact that you're keeping it for yourself. There, there was one... Um thing i i did spot that i thought was interesting apparently at one point he was uh considering of get getting rid of the grain dole uh because it was a great drain on resources but he figured that eventually there'd be another gracchus come along at some point and would be able to use that against him or mm. or someone who comes after him so he decided to keep it in place and uh, again that, i mean that goes back to his his political savviness uh, he's he's thinking ahead yeah, and he always maintains. Yeah, like once he's once he's just, you know feeling a little bit more comfortable in power, he really does try and maintain this um, outward appearance of being like a traditional Roman. You know, so we you know he he talks about how he you know he wears clothing that's spun yes. by Livia herself, and he sleeps on like a camp bed, not like a you know <laughs> nothing luxurious. Don't be silly. He's sleeping on like military equipment essentially. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because he's tough. <laughs> this, this temple next to my house is just an accident, guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know this fancy shield displaying all of my virtues on, and the laurel trees outside my house. Ah, you know, could happen to anybody. Yeah, who put that there? Oh, oh. <laughs> you guys, I'm blushing. All right, so let let us judge Augustus after talking about him. Oh, I can only imagine this is going to get terribly. <laughs> Right. Well, are, are we using our our rams then? Are we that we use in our podcast? We're more than happy to, if you would like to. 
yeah no let's do i'll be i'll be fascinated to see uh if if we think the same um well i anyone listening who doesn't listen to our uh, podcast we rank them in six rounds five rounds we have fightius maximus uh, their fighting ability, Opprobium Crasium, how crazy they were, Successus Ultimus, how successful they were, <laughs> Imagofacius, generally, do we like the look of them? Are they sexy? Yeah, basically. And then Tempo Completo, which was just how long they reigned, uh, which we haven't got much to discuss on that one, really. That's just a fact. I- I'm just really impressed, though, that all the rounds are genuine Latin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it took us a long time to research those names. We're very proud of them. Uh, but so, yeah, so fight, Fightius, we originally, when we ranked him um, almost three, three years, years ago. ago yeah. um, wow, that's a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we scored him 12 out of 20 uh, for his, his fighting ability because, I mean, he does a lot. The Empire expands under him more than anyone else. Uh, but there's no getting away mm. from the fact his damn knee kept playing up. Every time a battle came along. <laughs> and let's face it, yeah, a lot of the work was done by Agrippa. So I think we penalised him a lot there. But I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, look. I, I mean, surely, like, Agrippa and Augustus are like one, two peas in the same pod. <laughs> you just want to think that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they meet young, they stick together, marry Quite each other's literally. gals, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. Look, obviously, there. I, I have to give Augustus credit for recognizing that he's not the most talented military person out there, not the most capable, as in his uh, his health isn't great, and therefore finding someone. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Who can fill that role? There is a certain. There is a certain happiness. This reminds yeah. me of the story where he's outside Perugia and he's just gotten better, but he's beset by gladiators and he nearly dies. <laughs> and his response to that is to then kill 300 Perugian senators. <laughs> bad. It's bad. Well, I, I think this brings out his rank. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a bit harsher because, you know, that's just me and Augustus. I, I feel like he deserves a 5 out of 10 from me. What's he going to get from you? Aren't we doing it out of 20? Yeah, no, um, but that's, that's the thing. You're the other 20. Oh, other I'm the other 10. Yeah, maths, oh, so really, maths. so I have to bump him up now. That's my job. So I think on the level of, like, expansion, um, he definitely has to get at least over 5. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for being a savvy general who knows how to put people where they need to be in order to win, <laughs> except for Varus, um, and and Drusus. Uh, <laughs> there will be others. Um, that perhaps uh, we're looking at like a seven or an eight at least. So what are you going for? Seven or eight? Can't stop you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, seven or eight then. Which one? Ooh, okay, seven. All right, so he gets a 12 from us in the end. <laughs> exactly where you guys were. Ooh. Interesting. <laughs> and you two have doctorates in this so we did all right in our first ever episode <laughs> okay then do you guys uh, do you guys agree with the original ranking um I- i'd score him higher personally I think-, I-, I think nowadays if we did the episode again we might have given them another point each I- maybe I think-, I think we consider more political fighting now with the pro with fighters maximus yeah think- so i'll probably score him an extra point maybe yeah Oh, I see. Oh, well, if we're going for politics, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> I think it, uh, no, let, let's keep it to fighting. Yeah. Uh, success as Ultimus can be his political success. Yeah. But it, what about his craziness then? How, how crazy or how much opprobrium did he cause? 
<laughs> well, okay. I, I do think that he, uh, as you say, he's pretty, pretty brutal when it comes to the people he's working alongside most often with the Senate. Um, and there are those persistent rumours about his personal life. And but I don't think that makes him crazy. I just no, think it's just, that it's makes crazy, him human. It's a, no, no, it's, it's just the craziness of his life. <laughs> oh. I thought we were talking about like literal insanity. No, 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 no. Because no. I feel like he was never insane. Don't get me wrong. You get a lot of points if you are actually insane. But you can also get points for just general craziness in... Everyday quirkiness, we call it. Yeah, yeah. I kind of think it because of like his younger life. Oh, where he's again about town dressing up as like a god at parties and stuff. Yeah, and you know, and the, and also the, the prescriptions and, oh, there's just so much, there's so much drama. I kind of feel like I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a high score. Yeah. I'm going to give him a six, I think. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I, I think I'm firmly a five. Altogether, I think we're going to go with an 11, an 11 out of 20. Out of 20. Yeah. Altogether. 11 okay then uh, we gave him seven originally so uh, we went for, for lower. Okay. i think we were thinking of the caligulas that were coming up we didn't <laughs> want to go too high we don't have to worry about that <laughs> yeah um success us then how successful for the empire was the empire better well there was an empire for the empire oh hugely better it was finally here well, okay, I admit he is very politically savvy. He manages to die peacefully in his bed, which is more than m- most of his family can say. That's a success right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it is considering how many uh, political enemies he must have made over his time. Um, he, he, <laughs> he killed most of them. Well, yeah, but, you know, um, there are children. There's always children. Um, he does secure a... Fantastic successor. <laughs> uh, um, no comment. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm willing to give him. I'm willing to give him a nine. I'm going to give him a nine. I'm not going to be too <laughs> stupid about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So I think if if we're looking at like uh, in terms of like success, his contribution to the empire, mm-hmm. then it has to be a ten. Okay. Um, because he basically puts all of the things in motion for there to be one yeah. um, that enables Tiberius to do anything. <laughs> Tiberius has a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, hold <laughs> All right, so it's a grand total of 19 out of 20 from us. How did, what did you guys think? Uh, we gave him the full 20 on this one because you don't have a Roman Empire without him. So, yeah, yeah we, we went full marks. Um, true, true. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one you need to judge is uh, his imagofacious. I mean, how did he look? Were you impressed? <laughs> this is a tricky one because I feel like the statues of Augustus are not actual representations of what he really looked like. Well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> How sexy was he in those statues? <laughs> oh, 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 okay. I always just think, if I was Livia at that party, would I have done it? <laughs> and if the answer is yes. Would you have gone to his attic? Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, because, you know, at that time, you know, he's doing okay for himself, but he's not at the height yet. You know, he's a bit of an up-and-comer. All right, I'll give... Okay, judging on the existing statuary, I'd give him a seven. 
what did you what would you give him wow all right i mean he's not the most sexiest of all time i don't think but i have to give him a nine just for sheer charisma okay so that's a that's a total of 16 from us <laughs> which we then divide by four because we don't weight that too highly so that is a score of four you just gave him for majophagius and we gave him 4.25 oh it's fairly oh. consistent nice. so far nice okay cool so you, we now have a total score for him uh, because he gets four marks for how long he lasted because everything's compared to his reign. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to add those up. And he scores 51 exactly, which is slightly Ooh. higher than we marked him. We scored 48.25, <laughs> but not too far off. Yeah. So... Considering so... that Dr. G is a massive fangirl, <laughs> I think it's to be expected that we would really <laughs> oh. But I've been ripped to shreds this podcast i mean it's just it's coming from all angles really. <laughs> including myself i think just, just wait till tiberius <laughs> i can understand why someone might like augustus i'm, I'm getting a bit nervous Ti- tiberius is a tough one <laughs> i feel like i've got some allies now this is good, this is good. <laughs> all right cool well all right augustus 51 gives me something to beat <laughs> <laughs> good luck good luck yeah good luck yeah Thank you so much for collaborating with us and and allowing us to judge Augustus by your own standards <laughs> and for your insights into his life and rule. No problem. It has been a pleasure.